Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. There's kind of a, I think, a misunderstanding of, of the fact that we have a God that is not just all loving, but he's also filled with justice. And, you know, often we go to the loving part of God and we don't counterbalance it with, but wait, there's a God that's clearly a God of justice and who has some very clear direction in the Bible about how do you behave when you're mistreated. That is the voice of Linda Kohler, now a therapist, but who experienced the trauma of abuse at all levels, from childhood through multiple marriages and the workplace. The name of this program is Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Derek. a golden boy. And all we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. Life Support is hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. And he's here to offer encouragement and hope to you if you might be going through pain and suffering yourself. Pastor Paul is no stranger to suffering, losing his first wife to cancer and then experiencing the tragic homicide of his son Taylor in recent years. And now, the conversation with Pastor Paul and Linda Kohler on Life Support. It's so good to have you on Life Support. And what we do here is we tell stories of redemption. We want you to develop a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. And our guest again during our time together will be Linda Kohler, who is a marriage and family therapist. And uh, Linda, thank you for being here again. Thank you for having me. So great to have you. And when you were here last time, you told a story of your own life and how um, God led you through a process where you were abused within marriages that and all kinds of abuse. Um, it happened within a church setting. Yeah. You felt um, isolated, but at the end of the day, uh, God led you through a process of redemption, and you met a man who is a real godly man, not the kind that you had met before that were pretend godly mm-hmm. men. That's absolutely true. And And so... That led you into what you do now. You're a marriage and family therapist and can't think of a better person to be counseling people because you can identify with everything every you know any any client would say. But what what has that been like to make that transition from someone who was experiencing that from someone who was getting counsel went through a really difficult process and now here you are on the other end. Yeah, I mean I think I think that goes back a little a little ways for me. It started, you know, I was very young and I knew that I wanted to do this kind of work and got thrown into a life where it chose a life really that I couldn't do it because I had to um, be a provider. Uh, a single mom, you know, I was alone for so long and so I was so grateful that God provided a way for me in the in the business world and so I had I had um, risen to, you know, a pretty senior level in business and um, just, you know, through that journey that I had been through in my life, one day said, you know, my, my, I had, I finished my, um, my degree in, in marriage and family counseling and then subsequently got my license and uh, sat on it for a long time. Um, did my internship, you know, the thousands of hours you have to do at the same time that I was working and traveling all over the world and, and doing everything that I was doing. But, um, you know, at, at, at the point that I, you know, married my husband, um, there were a couple of things that collided that, that I think God orchestrated. One was 
you know, from the abuse that I had suffered, I had suffered quite a bit of facial abuse, and I had a a uh, broken jaw, discovered that I had a broken jaw and a dislocated jaw. One morning, I just couldn't open my mouth, and I was told that I needed to have a jaw joint replacement um, surgery done. Um, I've had over 30 surgeries as a result of um, abuse and have been very sick from lots of diseases that I've contracted from sexual addiction, from abuse, things like that. So the, after the surgery, I developed a... Um, uh, a nervous system disorder, um, very uncommon. I think I'm the 14th person in the world to have it. Wow. And so I have a, I'm in chronic pain, you know, mm. um, all the time, like intense chronic pain. Mm. And so that came together around the time, just shortly after I got married. And, um, you know, I really felt led to leave the corporate world and start ministering to these women that um, were left behind, that I really felt like were left behind and had been, um, because so many, I mean, even in my workplace where there, where abuse was also prevalent, by the way, and I experienced quite a bit of abuse um, in corporate America, um, there, there are women everywhere that I had touched and seen and, you know, they share their stories with each other. And and I knew that it was a pervasive issue. I just didn't know how pervasive it was. So that transition, you know, my husband was very supportive. So I, I just literally just one day said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm leaving behind the hundreds of thousands of dollars a year that I make. And I am um, going to minister. I'm going to give back. And I really felt like God was calling me to do that. So um, I opened up my practice, and that was a significant transition, and then decided that I was going to specialize in the areas that I was most impacted, which are abuse and addiction, sexual addiction to be specific. And I, I exclusively exclusively work with women um, because, again, there's some really poor counsel out there, and not just from therapists but from um, churches. And so, you know, Having started that transition, I, I one of the surprising things to me was how little um, pastors really are equipped um, to come alongside of women and even men, obviously families, of where this is actually going on. And so, you know, we know that there are three out of five Christian women sitting in churches today that experience abuse at the hands of their husbands. And any, and I'm not talking about just physical violence or the obvious one is hitting. That's actually not the most common form of abuse. Um, two out of five Christian men are being abused by their wives. And we're not doing a whole lot of talking about that in churches. And pastors don't really, you know, aren't necessarily equipped about what do I do with that? Like, mm -hmm. what do I do with that? And I've experienced a lot of clients um, who came from my perspective, which is, well, you just got to make it better. You you have to do things better. Be a better wife. Be, you know, have better sex. Make better meals. Keep the house cleaner. Make sure it's clean when he gets home. And you, like we can control what he does, which we can't. Um, That's and, all Band-Aid mentality, though. Yeah. That doesn't get to the heart of the issue. No, it does not get no. to the heart of the issue. And, 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 and unfortunately, a lot of women take that advice. And so they try, try, try. And of course, that puts all the responsibility on them, not on their husbands. They feel like it's their fault. And so they stay and they get, you know, very ingrained in that kind of a lifestyle. And their children witness it and see it and grow up in it. And why, do, why does the church so quickly, the church, I'm just with a big C, why yeah. does the church so quickly just want to pass it off? I think and, it's, I just think it's icky. 
I mean, I think it's number one is... It's too difficult and messy to deal with? It's messy. It's hard. I mean, you, you really have to, you know, you have to do what the Bible says. And that's, I mean, who likes to do that, especially in Minnesota, where we're very, you know, this is a very Minnesota nice culture. So this would require confronting. We're very nice here. Yeah, we're, well, we're not. We're actually... For those that are listening nice. in other states, we're, we're very nice in Minnesota. <laughs> we have pockets of... Of that, yes, yes, we do. We have great people. Yes, um, but but I think it's a hard topic to address. I think you know, there's some, you know, there's kind of a I think a misunderstanding of of the fact that we have a God that is not just all loving, but He's also filled with justice. And you know, often we go to the loving part of God and we don't counterbalance it with, but wait, there's a God that's clearly a God of justice and who has some very clear direction in the Bible about how do you behave when you're mistreated. And, you know, so, you know, you kind of got to wonder if it's a, if it's a question of, I've got to believe pastors know the Bible. So if we know the Bible, is it a, is it a courage question? Is it a, I mean, I've heard pastors tell me, Linda, I can't talk about that in this church. Well, why not? Well, because I'll, I'll, I won't get as many people in the pews. I mean, people don't want to listen to that. Um, okay, well, what about sexual addiction? We've got 70% of Christian men are addicted to porn, are so addicted say that, to say sex. Say that number again, 70%. 70%. percent. 38% of pastors. 38% of wow. pastors, 70%, 70% of Christian men. And, and what, what forms does that addiction take? Yeah, that, I mean, that takes the form of the range. Porno, we're talking about pornography all the way through. And pornography, you start, you start your sexual addiction at pornography because it's very covert and you do it by yourself. But um, like any addiction, any addiction will escalate. This is why people overdose. And you can't overdose on sex. So what you do is you increase the risk of sex. So you move from something that you're doing by yourself to things that are in person with others. And ultimately, the ultimate risk is prostitution. So there's a spectrum of how people act out when and they're And that's happening addicted. in churches right now. Yeah, right. churches, I'm, pastors, I mean, you bet. So how would you counsel a male pastor like me? Um, one of the things that's difficult for me is when uh, a woman comes forward and talks about this to me, um, I want to help. Um, I know there are resources out there. I feel a little bit uncomfortable with the boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest issue. Yeah. Uh, I'm paranoid about those boundaries in a church. Sure. H- how would you counsel a male pastor that is approached by someone? What does a pastor do to help? Yeah, I mean, I think, number one, validate the person. Mm-hmm. You know, be present with them in their pain and and. Don't try and rationalize it, justify mm-hmm. it, you know, say Listen he's well. the head of the house, right. you need to submit to him. I mean, right. that is the worst advice you can give somebody. But right. so being present, listening, um, telling them that what's happening is not okay. You know, it's just not not okay. It's not biblical. I mean, it is a form of betrayal. It is sexual betrayal at its core when you know the Bible, right? So yeah, we're dealing with something very serious here that is beyond a, well, he just says that it's, it's just I'm just doing this, and I'm doing it in the shower, and it's no big deal, and, hey, it could spice up our love life. Well, what does Jesus say about that? Is that consistent with, with the words of Jesus? No, it's not. So it needs to be addressed as such. And so, you know, what we, what, 
what what ideally what would happen is let's have a conversation. I'd like to meet with your husband, and I'd like you to get some counsel from someone who's really trained well in this. Uh, because our job as wives, our job as spouses, the ultimate calling we have is to turn our husbands back to the Lord. Mm-hmm. I mean, God is after the heart and soul of, of every husband and, and every wife and every person out there. That's his. Yes. That's why God is God. For sure. And so how do we do that? Do we do it by submitting? Do we do it by giving up ourselves, by believing our husbands when they're telling us lies about this is your fault? If you just blank, then I wouldn't blank. No, um, we don't. We stand. And and we say, no, that's that's not okay. This is not okay with me. And we set boundaries and we make it uncomfortable. And that models God's behavior. I mean, if you think about God in the Garden of Eden, perfect parent, you know, perfect you know, children and his children sinned and God didn't just say, well, that's okay. You know, it's okay. And you're right. I got to be a better God. I mean, we'll continue this conversation with therapist and trauma survivor, Linda Kohler in a moment. I'm Steve Johnson, executive director of Five Stone Media. And we've just recently launched a trauma site ourselves intended as tools and resources for the church to equip leaders to come alongside those who are going through pain and suffering. If you'd like to learn more, log on to lifesupportresources.org, lifesupportresources.org. Well, I'm thinking of John 8 where um, there was a prostitute being stoned and and Jesus didn't condemn. Jesus came alongside of her. Yep. Jesus stopped the, I guess what could be called secondary abuse. Mm -hmm. And then he looked at her and said, but don't do this anymore. Yeah, I forgive you, but right. sin no more. That's right. right? And That's right. she came to Christ. But what happens when that doesn't happen with mm-hmm. your husband? Mm-hmm. What happens when that doesn't happen with your wife? Then we go to consequences, right? We go to right. boundaries and we say, you know, things are going to have to move here a different way. And if they don't, you ha- you're, you have a choice. You, right. know, you can choose to get some help because we have to treat we have to treat sexual addiction um as any other addiction and how are addictions treated there first you have to withdraw first you need to withdraw from the hits that you get in your brain that cause you and compel you to do this over and over again people equate um in my field the profession when you look at sexual addiction withdrawing from sexual addiction is like withdrawing from meth or heroin is that severe that is the likeness that we're talking about so you don't treat it lightly you just don't say i forgive you it's all okay and, and I believe that you won't ever do it again because what you see is a pattern that emerges and evolves and continues behind your back. You know, as I described earlier with my own experience, it just it just happened over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's the time where you where you say, OK, we tried the God. We tried love. We tried patterning after love and forgiveness and mercy. And we always have those components. But the justice part needs to happen too. the the. The consequences need to come as well. And so it's not something to take lightly. I think part of the problem, too, and maybe you would agree with this, Linda, is that it would be easier for someone to step forward, say, in a small group and say, yeah, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Yeah, I did cocaine. To come forward and actually say, um, I'm either recovering from or have struggled with sexual addiction. It's a different connotation. People in the church look at it differently it brings yeah. with it a whole a whole different thing and so no wonder people are isolated because the moment you say those words it's like whoa 
Yeah, I think, you know, it's just such a poignant truth um, that you mentioned because sexual addiction by definition is not socially acceptable. And so when you when you look at that image of and you get an image in your brain of what does that look like with with a husband? What does that look like with a wife? What are they doing? People see pictures of that. They see what that looks yeah, like and right. they say, ick. I Ick, mean, yeah. it's socially acceptable to drink and to, yeah. to take sleeping pills or to, to be on Xanax or what, you know. But like go get a room is how that's how yeah. people think about it. Yeah. And it's yeah. kind of a you know, it's a very I think it's a way that the enemy keeps people stuck is because it is such a sin of shame. Mm-hmm. And it's not um, out there in the light. It's a way that people tell themselves, I can't talk about it, and I don't want to talk about it. Well, and if you're a pastor, you're thinking, I have nowhere to go with this. Mm-hmm. Because you're thinking about, when I say you are, I'm not thinking, talking about yep. me, I'm generally speaking, that there must be thoughts of, well, it's the only thing I can do for a living. Um, right. My board is not going to work with me on this. Right. Um, I love my family. Yeah. And the risk is huge because the pastor is supposed to be perfect. Yes. Right? It, that's why you have a pastor. He's the one that stands up there and tells you how to live the above Christian reproach, life. Right? Above, above reproach. reproach. And that brings us to the elder question. And that is, you mentioned, as you were telling your story, about these men who were elders in churches. Yes. Uh, Paul was very specific about yes. uh, elder qualifications. Yes. Sadly, many churches uh, blow that off, take it lightly, don't even have elder training programs, yes. et cetera. But even if you have all of that, these guys still slip through. Yes. So how do I as a pastor, how do I as a board member or a board chair that's listening, how do I identify someone who is living a lie? Yeah, that's really tough. It's hard to do. Um, But 100% of the time, the lie cannot be sustained over time. And so instead of looking at snapshots of people, you have to look at the pattern of their behavior, and you have to be looking for it. It slips through our churches um, all the time. And so, you know, there are are ways that um, you can kind of trust your trust your intuition and that you can wisely discern as well something's just not so right if something's here. nagging at you don't just ignore it no I but mean, don't trust your gut we trust have a gut we have a neural network and at least start to ask questions from the brain right. and at least probe right. you know what's right. that about i'm seeing something that's just not adding up here and not right. making sense because mm-hmm. we can become the complicit culture that enables all of this to happen and then it becomes a pervasive issue in our churches right under our noses and we don't do anything about it yeah, that's a real problem in churches. And, you know, for those of you that are still listening, thank you, because this is a hard topic, but it's it's so vitally important. And especially now in our culture when there are victims coming forward now, finally, uh, there are denominations that are starting to deal with yes. this. And I think that's really a positive step forward. But there's obviously a tremendous um, still stigma around this issue. When you are counseling clients to try to come out of this and get their lives together what what do you tell them what what is the pathway yeah, to the, redemption the pathway is you've got to ground yourself in who Christ says you are okay and the promises of God about your identity about who he created you to be are the only solid foundation that you can stand on because by the time that they come to counsel you know, that's been taken from them, 
Right. They've been told it's their fault. They're not enough. They're they're too fat. They're too they're too whatever. You know that's why I'm doing and they these believe things. It. And they absolutely and, believe and, it. Because I mean, why I w- it. why wouldn't they? I believed it. Yeah. You know why yeah. why wouldn't you believe that? You have no other explanation. And and yeah. what's at stake for many of these people is if I if I do leave, what do I have? I don't have a house. I don't know where my kids are going to live. I have no income. I don't know what to do. I can't provide for myself. So I have to put. I have no choice. And they do have a choice. So get grounded in what God says about who you are and who he is. We have a God who is a big God, who is very good at being God. And we don't often, we have a hard time believing that about God when we're stuck in our circumstances. And so really getting kind of rewired on who are you listening to? Mm -hmm. What kind of tape are you playing in your brain? What's the laundry spin cycle Mm -hmm. that you're spinning around in Mm -hmm. there? Because if you're spinning on your own worthlessness, God's got some words for you about that. Um, you are called. You are. He has called you by name. He promises that he will redeem you, um, that we just have to ask and we have to trust his provision. Um, and that's a very hard thing to do. So a woman that doesn't have permission from her husband to start down that road of redemption, maybe she's currently being abused. Uh, she's being controlled. Uh, she just can't go see a counselor, can't afford it. Yeah. What would you counsel that woman to begin to do? Yeah, I mean, if you have um, resources through your church, you know, who are, you know, I want to say really trained well in this, ask questions. You know, do you have background? Do you have training in this? How do you handle these types of situations? Um, There are many churches who will provide um, some benevolent funds to get that woman started, um, at least with some secure counsel, something that is biblically oriented. Um, Mm -hmm. But also there's shelters. I mean, there are, you know, if the abuse is, is that powerful and that strong, there's definitely a place to go if there's violence in the home. So do something. Do something. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of, a lot. I think I think the question is, um, people say they're going to stay for the wrong reasons. I have to stay because I have kids. What am I, you know, we have kids together. It's for the kids. I can do this until the, and it's like, what are you teaching your kids? What are you teaching yeah. your kids by allowing it to happen, by seeing what's being modeled in your home? Mm-hmm. So it's it's just a gentle start on on that. And and also lots of resources out there, which we can put on, on, on our webpage um, about where do you go and what do you do? Um, I, too many that I, 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 can't, yeah. I can't count right now. Sure. But, but sure. first of all, get grounded in what the truth is, I think, mm-hmm. is the most important thing. You also mentioned that men are being abused. Yes, what does that look like? Because we don't ever hear about that. Well, women, you know, with the fall came the you're the gonna, curse. You're, came the curse, and yeah. boy, we we want to control our husbands, and there's lots of desires that we have around our husbands, and this tends to manifest much more as um, emotional abuse um, and control. Mm-hmm. Um, and shaming a husband, you know, kind of not respecting your husband, but but very overtly put downs, um, you know, things of that nature. Um, we we do see women that punch, hit, slap, you know, things of that nature. But most of it is it's it's emotional, like you're not enough, and I'm in control, and it's meant to get control over the household and and elevate oneself. So when you see that man come forward, that we all kind of joke about, well, you know, who's the boss in that home? Yeah. And he's kind of meek. Well, maybe That's we, a good we take a second look and go, I yeah. wonder what's really going on in that yeah, home. Yeah, what's happening there? Mm-hmm. What's happening with you? Or, is everything okay? You know, are you, mm-hmm. 
what's your what you know what does that feel like what's it like to if I, if I was a fly on the wall what kinds of things do you hear every day from your wife I mean it's very hard and we think this number is low because most men don't want to report it there's so much shame that comes with hey identify yeah, that's me not as something you talk about on Saturday morning with your with your guys at breakfast very you know some so we we have about a minute left. Um, I just want people to know there's hope. Yes, there is tremendous hope, mm-hmm. tremendous hope in, in Christ and healing. And there's been so much, um, c- countless, I can't tell you how many, how many times uh, women who start believing the truth about God's word for themselves and for their marriages are able to then gain some strength to do the courageous, hard things and start standing up to their husbands with some boundaries, with some limits um, that that actually help their husbands turn back to mm-hmm. the Lord. And that's, mm-hmm. again, our ultimate call is to get our husbands right with the Lord. Yeah. Linda, thanks so much. You've been a tremendous help, and your story is amazing. And thank you for giving us hope. You're I welcome. Really appreciate thanks for having it a me. Lot. That's Linda Kohler, and uh, her story is a reminder that Jesus is real. He's redemptive. He came to reconcile us to his father and it's always good to remember if you think you're alone or the only one that's ever experienced what you're experiencing remember what jesus experienced the bible tells us to have the same mind that christ had when he sacrificed himself and it wasn't just that moment on the cross where he gave his life it was the preceding moments it was the abuse from the roman soldiers it was unfair accusations. It was sexual abuse. He was likely naked on the cross. It was likely physical abuse. He was probably close enough to a road where people could come by and hit him and spit on him. And he went through all of this. And now he is your high priest and he understands what you're going through. So please reach out and trust that Jesus will understand your pain. We tell stories like this because we want you to have a deeper relationship with Christ because in all of this suffering and all of this darkness, Jesus is lurking there and he's saying, trust me, come to me. And so I want to thank you for allowing us to spend time with you. Life support is made possible by wonderful partners like Faith Radio at MyFaithRadio.com. You can watch a video presentation of this podcast at Five Stone Media's webpage. That's FiveStoneMedia.com. And, of course, you can land on our church website as well. That's Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, myrwc.org slash life support. Love to see you on Twitter as well, at Pastor Paul J. Thanks so much for being here. We'll catch you next time on Life Support. Thanks for listening to this Life Support podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, Subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support.